In your Bibles, will you turn to Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Throughout this whole section of Romans chapter 9 through 11 that we have been looking at together for many weeks, one of the overriding themes is why is it that some people do not believe? Why do some believe and some not believe? And that question had a special importance for Paul because the people that he was thinking about with regard to that question were the Israelite people. Why were the Israelite people not believing? Of all the people on earth, the ones who had been shown incredible kindness and grace by God, the ones who had been chosen by God, chose Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their descendants, the one that God entered into a covenant with on Mount Sinai, the one that God had rescued over and over time and time again, the one that God had entrusted the law to, the one that God had given promises to, the one through whom God brought his son, Jesus the Messiah, into the world. Of all the peoples, why were the Jewish people not believing in Jesus, their own Messiah, their own Lord, their own long-promised anointed one? And Paul has been answering that question through Romans 9 through 11, and he's addressed it from many different perspectives. And the reason why this question is so important for Paul is not only because he is concerned for their salvation. That would be enough to, be, to write about this, being concerned for the salvation of his own Israelite people. That would be enough to, to think about these things. But it's even more than that. It is just, it's not just that the fact that he is concerned for their salvation, he's also wrestling with the fact that they are not believing in light of the promises of God, in light of the faithfulness of God. What's going to happen to Israel in the end? Has God failed? Has God rejected his people? Has the word of God failed? And Paul has been answering all of those questions with an emphatic no. The word of God has not failed. God's faithfulness has not failed. God's promise has not failed. And he's been explaining how in the inscrutable plan of God, the mysteries of God, there is a principle of gracious election at work in which some are saved and some are not. And that principle of election has been going on from the beginning of time. And it involves not only the Jewish people, but the Gentile peoples as well. So that is one way of understanding why it is that so many of these Israelite people have not believed. It's the sovereign purposes of God that are inscrutable for us to understand. But then he also looked at it from the human side in chapter 10 and, and showed that, that the full responsibility lies on the shoulders of the Israelite people for not believing. They've had the gospel. They've had the word of God preached to them. They've had Jesus, their own Messiah, in front of them preaching to them and performing miracles. It's not as if the gospel wasn't known by them. It wasn't far away that they had to go and find it. It was right there with them, among them. And yet they stubbornly 
in a stiff-necked, stubborn-hearted way, refused it and did not believe. So then in chapter 11, he asked the question, so has God rejected them then? In light of Israel's constant, stubborn unbelief, has God rejected them? Is he done with them? Have they stumbled so far so as to fall beyond recovery? And Paul's answer is no, they have not. So looking at it from both sides, God has not rejected them. Neither have they fallen so far as to be without hope. God has a plan for them. And really beginning in verse 11, all the way through the end of the chapter, and it's going to come to a a close, this thought in our section this morning. It is this incredible plan, this mystery of God, in which God is accomplishing something on purpose through salvation history with the way things are unfolding. And so the the hard-heartedness, the unbelief of the Jewish people is not a surprise to God. It's not a surprise to God. In fact, in the light of Romans 9, you could say that it was planned by God. It's not a surprise to God at all. It's a part of His plan that the Israelite people would hard-heartedly and in a stubborn way Reject Jesus, by and large. Reject Jesus. Obviously, there were exceptions, right? Paul was one of them. Paul's an exception. Peter, James, John, the 12 apostles, the 120 who were in the upper room, and then the many thousands who listened to Peter on the day of Pentecost and believed. There were exceptions. There, were, there was a remnant, right? A remnant chosen according to grace. Even in Paul's day, there were Jews who were being saved. But there was a a mass hardening, a large majority hardening of the Jewish people so that many, many of them were not trusting in Jesus. Why? Paul says this is a part of the plan of God. So that the gospel would then go out to the Gentiles. So that the gospel will go out far and wide and so that the Gentiles would then see the gospel and see Christ and believe. But that's not the end. Paul says that also in light of the gospel now going to the Gentiles, a part of God's plan is to stir up jealousy or envy among the Israelite peoples that they in the end would be saved. And so it comes around full circle that God is hardening the Israelites so the Gentiles can be saved, but he's saving the Gentiles so that in the end the Israelites can be saved. And it's all a part of God's gracious, merciful plan. It's a mysterious one. And that's what Paul reveals in verse 25. This is a mysterious plan. And he wants us to see it. He wants to unfold it for us. And so he says in verse 25, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they're enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account 
of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, we thank you for the fact that you have revealed your precious word to us. We thank you that you have, through your servant Paul, uh, opened up these mysteries to us, have shed a light on your plan as it is unfolding through the ages. Lord, as Gentile peoples, may we be overcome with gratitude at your grace and mercy. And may we be humbled by it. May we also be emboldened with a zeal to spread the gospel far and wide to both Jews and Gentiles alike so that your plan may unfold and so that many, many will be saved through the knowledge of Christ. Lord, thank you for your all-wise, sovereign, infinite plan. Lord, help us to be a part of it as you work out your grace in the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that Paul reveals to us in this passage is in verse 25. And that is that Israel's hardening is partial and temporary. Israel's hardening is partial and temporary. Now, this hardening that Paul has talked about is a spiritual hardening. It is a hardening that results in a spiritual dullness, a spiritual blindness, a spiritual deafness, so that people cannot see and believe. It is a spiritual hardening. And for Paul, it was current in his day. It was also current in Jesus' day. Many, many people rejecting Jesus as their Messiah. It was current in Jesus' day. It was current in Paul's day. And I would suggest that this hardening of Israel is still current today. That a large, in large measure, the Israelite peoples are not trusting in Jesus as their Messiah. Now, it's partial. It's partial in the sense that it is not 100% complete and full hardening. And the the proof of that is in Paul himself. The proof of that is in other Jews who have been saved, whether in Paul's day or in ours. So the hardening is not total. It's partial. There is still a remnant who is being saved, right? So in Paul's day, as well as in ours, even though there is a, a large, in large part, a hardening, a spiritual dullness among the Israelite people, there's still a remnant being saved. So it's a partial hardening. But Paul also reveals to us in verse 25 that it is a temporary hardening. So it's partial in the sense that there are still Jews being saved today. There were still Jews being saved in Paul's day. And, but this hardening is also temporary. It is temporary until when? 
Paul says in verse 25, it is until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. Until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. What is the full number of the Gentiles? I don't know the number. You don't know the number. Nobody knows the number. God knows the number, right? This has to do with election. This has to do with that which is beyond our understanding. This has to do with that which is only in the mind of God. But in the mind of God, in the electing purposes of God, in his sovereign grace, there is a point at which God will say, all of those who have been saved among the Gentiles have come in. And now I am turning my attention back to the Israelite people. At some point, that turn will happen. When that will be, I cannot answer. How many Gentiles need to come in before that happens, I cannot answer. That's within the mind of God. But what Paul is revealing is that this hardening is that is among the Jewish people, their, their spiritual blindness, there will be a time when it will be lifted. And there will be a great movement of grace and of revival among the Jewish people. But for now, there is the time of the Gentiles, as it is referred to in Scripture. In fact, Jesus himself refers to it this way in Luke 21, verse 24. In predicting the fall of Jerusalem to the Romans in AD 70, Jesus predicts they will fall by the sword and they will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So Jerusalem would fall, Jesus predicted, and in fact it did. In AD 70, the Romans surrounded Jerusalem. They destroyed it, tore down its walls, destroyed the temple. And the temple in Jerusalem has not stood since that day. So the trampling on of Jerusalem by the Gentiles has continued till this day. So we remain in this time of the Gentiles, as Jesus calls it, or as Paul would say, until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So we're still in this time. And so in a final act, after the hardening of Israel is removed and the destined number of Gentiles enter the kingdom, God will then lift the veil. It's one of the reasons why I read from 2 Corinthians this morning is right now Paul was saying that whenever the law of Moses is read, there's a veil. There's a veil over their minds. There's a veil over their hearts and they can't see. But whenever the veil is lifted, they trust in Jesus. And so he was talking to the Jewish people, or about the Jewish people and saying that. He's talking about the coming of a new covenant. And he's talking about when this new covenant comes and when this new covenant removes the veil, that they will see the beauty of Jesus Christ. They will see his glory and they will believe and be saved. That is happening for some now, but there will come a time when that will happen in large mass among the Jewish people. So Israel's current hardening hardening is partial and temporary. Number two, Paul reveals to us in verse 26 that Israel's future salvation is promised and guaranteed by God's grace. Paul can say with great certainty in verse number 26, and in this way all Israel will be saved. In what way? 
I think it refers to what he was saying in verse 25. In, in the manner of the partial hardening and the temporary hardening, but then when that has fulfilled its purpose, then in that manner, then God will turn to the Israelite people and the Israelite people will be saved. Now, there is some disagreement about what this phrase means in verse 26 when Paul says, all Israel will be saved. Some have taken it as that, that now because of God's turn to the Gentile people, that the Gentiles are now included in Israel. And so that when Paul says all Israel will be saved, really he's just talking about all the elect of God, whether Jew or Gentile. And there have been some very respected commentators that have taken it that way. I maintain that the word Israel here maintains its, its ethnic meaning, as it has throughout much of all of Romans 11, really. Throughout all of Romans 11, Paul has been very careful to distinguish Jews and, Jews and Gentiles. Even though they're both being engrafted into the same olive tree, if you will, he has still been maintaining this ethnic distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Otherwise, this cycle of the mystery of God would not make sense. So I take Israel to be Jewish people. He's still speaking ethnically in verse 26 when he says Israel will be saved. And here I see him referring to what he was talking about earlier in, say, verse 12. When he says, but if their transgression means riches for the world, that is, if the Israelites, the Jewish people's transgression, means riches for the world, that is, the gospel to the nations... And their loss means riches for the Gentiles. How much greater riches will their, that is the Jews, full inclusion bring? So when he says in verse 26, all Israel will be saved, I still think he's talking about Israelites. And God's turn then to the Israelite peoples and the revival that will happen among them. Now, is it true that the ultimate destiny of both Jews and Gentiles is the same? Absolutely. Are, are we all among the people of God? Absolutely. But I think here he's, he's thinking in terms of this question that he's been wrestling with throughout all of Romans 9 through 11, and that is the unbelief of the Jewish people. And he says, in the end, there will be a great turning in faith among the Jewish people. Now, what does he mean by all Israel will be saved? I take it that he means it in kind of an Old Testament way when, say, all Israel appeared before the Lord, or Israel as a congregation came before the Lord in worship, or Israel's referred to as a whole, as many times it was in the Old Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, when all of Israel was referred to as a whole, that did not mean that there were not exceptions. So, for example, you can refer to all Israel as being disobedient, and as being pagan and idolatrous. But you have people like Daniel who were not. So there were exceptions. And so when he says all Israel, I don't take it that, that, that it will be 100% every single individual without fail, every Israelite will be saved. But I do take it in the sense that the vast majority of Israel will have a turning to Christ. In, in a sense of reversal. Just as in the present time, it's not a complete hardening. There are still Jews who are being saved. So also in the future time, when this condition of hardening is reversed, it will be a great mass turning to Christ 
though maybe not all without exception. So it will be a whole. That could be viewed as a whole, as a mass of Israelite people. And they will be saved. And so Israel is promised a future salvation. How can Paul guarantee this? Because he understands the grace of God. He he understands how the grace of God works. He understands that grace draws. Grace gives life. Grace opens eyes. And so Paul can say with confidence that Israel will be saved because he understands how the grace of God works. I also want to make sure that we understand that this salvation among the Israelite peoples cannot happen apart from faith in Christ. This salvation, this future salvation, this future inclusion of the Jewish peoples, because of everything that Paul has said in Romans and elsewhere in the New Testament, it must come through faith in Christ. Because there's no other way, is there? John 14, 6, anyone who comes to the Father must come through me. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Acts 4.12, salvation is not found in any other name other than in the name of Jesus Christ. And if the Jewish people could be saved in any other way other than Jesus, then why has Paul been so emotionally moved over their unbelief throughout Romans 9-11? through And why has Paul said in Romans 10 that you have to send preachers to take the word, the message about Christ, so that people can be saved? Paul's gospel, the gospel of the New Testament, the gospel of Christ, is that people are saved only through the name of Jesus Christ. And so however this salvation will come through this great revival that will happen in the future, it will come in in harmony with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his name. Which means then that those who have been hardened in times past and have died in unbelief, they will remain in unbelief and they will perish in unbelief because they have rejected Jesus Christ. So this all of Israel being saved, this is not retrospectively looking back and saying every single Israelite who has ever lived will be saved. Those who were hardened, those who did not believe in Jesus, they will be lost. But at some point in the future, there will be a great turning to faith in Jesus Christ and their salvation. This future salvation of Israel is confirmed by Old Testament Scripture. That's what Paul says to us thirdly in this passage. So this future salvation is guaranteed by the grace of God, but it's also confirmed by Old Testament Scripture. Paul quotes from Isaiah in the next couple of verses. He says, As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. In verse 27, he says, And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So Paul is going back to Isaiah and perhaps even alluding to portions of Jeremiah. And he's showing that this future new covenant of God coming to the Israelite peoples, that it will be fulfilled. These passages in Isaiah and in Jeremiah, they are prophecies of the new covenant. Now, the new covenant we know is only through Christ, isn't it? Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. 
we as Gentiles have been grafted into this new covenant. Even though we were wild olive branches and we were not naturally a part of the peoples of Abraham, we have been grafted into this new covenant by grace through faith. So also in the end, when God saves Israel in this great revival, they too will experience the benefits of this new covenant in Christ. And everything that Jeremiah 31 predicted, everything that Isaiah 59 talks about, this new covenant, it will be fulfilled when this great salvation happens among the Jewish people. But it was confirmed by the Old Testament scriptures. Fourthly, Paul reveals to us in verses 28 and 29 that this future salvation of Israel is rooted in God's unswerving faithfulness to his promise and his election. This future salvation of Israel is rooted in God's unswerving faithfulness to his promise and his election. Now, if you think about it, that brings us back full circle to where this whole section of Romans 9 through 11 started, doesn't it? Romans 9. Has God's word failed? And Paul's answer throughout the whole of these three chapters has been, no, God's word has not failed. And so he ends here by reminding us that this future salvation of Israel, this, this all Israel will be saved, that this is built on the foundation of the promises and the election of God. He says in verse 28, as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. What does that mean? I, I think he just means that in the present time, in this present condition of hardening, in which many Jews are not believing, the Jews are, are seen as enemies, are, as your enemies because of the gospel. And in, in very real ways, they were. Paul would go out and he would preach the gospel and some of his greatest opposition would come from the Jewish people who lived in those cities. Most of the people who tried to run Paul off and have Paul arrested or have Paul beaten and stoned were the Jewish people who rejected the message of Paul in these cities. So that's what he means when he says, as far as the gospel is concerned, the proclamation of the gospel right now in this present time, they're enemies. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. In other words, what Paul is saying there is God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob can never be undone. Never. God's calling, his gifts, the gifts of what? The gifts of the promises, the gifts of the covenants, the gifts of the law, these gifts that he mentioned, all these benefits that he mentioned at the beginning of Romans 9, those gifts, that calling, that election, irrevocable, they cannot be reversed, they cannot be taken away. God cannot reverse on his own elective choice. God cannot reverse his sovereign will. God is consistent. He is unchangeable. He is immutable. He is faithful. His call, his gifts are irrevocable. So what he promised to Abraham will be fulfilled. What he promised to Isaac and Jacob will be fulfilled. Now, have there been times of apostasy in Israel's history? Absolutely. There have been times of great apostasy in Israel's history. 
the times of the divided kingdom, all of Israel in the north was a time of apostasy. During that divided kingdom, many, many reigns of kings during the, the reigns of Judah, they were apostasy. Israel went into captivity in Assyria. Judah went into captivity in Babylon. God disciplined his people for that apostasy, but he did not forsake them. Even in Jesus' day and in Paul's day, they crucified their own Messiah. They rejected Jesus. And Paul, as he goes out and preaches the gospel, they're torturing him and stoning him. And they're, they're rejecting Jesus. And so it's a time of great apostasy in Paul's day because they're rejecting Jesus as the Son of God and as their Savior. But God has not revoked his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And his promises to them will be fulfilled. They're being fulfilled now partially in those Jews who are being saved, but it will be fulfilled in full in the end when all Israel is saved. And this great turning to Christ happens in the end. And then lastly, in the last few verses of this passage, Paul reveals that this future salvation of Israel shows us God's impartiality to all people. It shows us God's impartiality to all people because it shows us that God is saving peoples from all over the world. He says in verse 30, Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. What is he saying? He, he basically, in those two verses, he's just re reminding us, recounting this cycle that he has already told us about. Israelite hardness results in Gentile salvation. Gentile salvation will ultimately result in Israel's salvation. Verse 32, For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Meaning that all peoples are at different times and at different places in different ways subject to this spiritual blindness. For the vast majority of history before Christ, the Gentile peoples were subject to mass spiritual blindness. Before Christ, the vast majority of Gentile peoples were lost and without hope, without God in the world. Now, since Christ has come, the gospel is going to the Gentiles. God is lifting the spiritual blinders off of their eyes, but now there has been a spiritual hardness that has come to settle in on Israel. And a great number of Israelites now in this time are not believing because this spiritual blindness has come to rest on them. And why, why has God done this? Why are people in this state of blindness, in this state of hard-heartedness, in this state of unbelief? Paul says it's so that God can have mercy on them. So that God can have mercy on them. And by all there, I take the all to mean all peoples. Not necessarily every single person without exception, but all peoples, Jews and Gentiles alike that God will have mercy on all peoples, Jew and Gentile, American and Russian, Chinese and South African, 
God will have mercy on all peoples as he accomplishes his great mystery of his saving plan. Now, as we finish our time in this portion of Romans, what has Paul's purpose been in the last many verses? He makes his purpose very clear in verse 25. He wants us to know this. He wants us to understand this. He wants us to understand this mystery of how God's unfolding salvation historical plan has, has worked itself out. He wants us to see this for this reason. So that you Gentile believers may not be conceited. And he has, he's told us this before. Don't be prideful, because remember, it's the root that supports you. You do not support the root. Now, Paul is writing this into a context in the first century world in which there was still, I think, a great deal of hostility and animosity between Jew and Gentile peoples. And there, there could have been the very real tendency among these Gentile Christians to see themselves now as God's chosen and Israel as God's rejected. And they could be tempted to be lifted up in pride about that. But Paul wants to remind them, no, no, this is all a part of God's working out his salvation plan. And I want you to understand this so that you will not be lifted up in pride. Jews are going to be saved in fulfillment of the will of God. Gentiles are going to be saved in fulfillment of the will of God. And when they are saved, they are all brought together and grafted into the one olive tree. And one day, as John reveals to us in Revelation chapter 5, we will have peoples from every tribe, every language, every tongue gathered around the throne of God, worshiping him and praising his name. Now, in our context, in 2018, in Winfield, Alabama, we probably don't have this same tendency to be lifted up in pride over the Jews. We're in a different context than Paul was writing to the Roman Christians in the first century. But I still think we have that human tendency to be lifted up in pride over others when we feel that we have been included and others have not. And so whatever criteria you want to use that can lift somebody up in pride, it could be ethnic, it could be racial, it could be white over black, it could be white over Hispanic, it could be Asian over Hispanic, whatever. It could be ethnic, it could be racial, it could be educational. I'm smarter than you, I have a college degree, you don't, I have a master's degree, you don't. It could be economic, I have all this money, you don't. I have, I have this nice house and this nice car and this nice job and you don't. It could be just quality of life or general perception of how someone is viewed in the community. I have it all together. You don't. Your life is a mess. But there's always tendencies for us to be lifted up in pride, isn't there? And what Paul wants to, wants to remind us of is that all that we have is by grace. All that we have. If you're in Christ and you're a part of his people, it's not because of your race. 
It's not because of how much money you have. It's not because of how much character or ethics you have. It's not how good works you've done. It's not because you got your life all put together. It's not because you have a better job than somebody else. There's only one reason why you are in the people of God, and that is because God has mercifully shown grace to you. And if God has mercifully shown grace to you, he can mercifully show grace to anyone. Anyone of any race, of any economic status, of any educational attainment, of of any moral quality or worth, God can show grace to anyone. And so may we be humbled by that fact. And then may that lead us to incredible gratitude to the grace of God. And may that inspire in us a great zeal to share the gospel with all of those around us because any one of them can be saved by the grace of God. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, you are so merciful and gracious to us. And we thank you that you have welcomed us into your family, not because of who our ancestors were, not because of any worth in us, but simply because you had grace. You showed your grace to us. You had mercy on us. You loved us before the dawn of time. And that love was unconditional. It was not earned because of anything that we had done. It was not merited. Lord, you simply simply loved us because out of your own gracious disposition, you decided to love us. May we be humbled by that, Lord. May that humility um, impact the way that we relate to other people. May that humility, that grace that you've shown to us, may that give us a, a, a lens of grace through which to view other people. As you have shown mercy to us, may we show mercy and grace to others. So Lord, inspire within us a zeal to share your gospel, this glorious gospel of salvation in Christ to those around us. And may you be pleased to draw them to yourself in fulfillment of your great plan. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.